men's basketball tournament. It is one of the most exciting times for me because I love basketball. But college basketball is more meaningful once March Madness starts because there are basically 64 teams, and then over a period of three weeks, these teams all vie for the national championship. And all the teams, and if any of you have played sports, if you ever played in a tournament, there's such an intensity that you can't believe. It's, it's different from any other regular games you play, but during a tournament, everybody plays at a very heightened level, at a certain speed and, and, and strength that you, you can't imagine. And for me, the NCAA uh, tournament is an exciting time. It's a great tr- format. The tournament is a one-and-done deal. You lose, and you're out. And so the teams have to play, the players have to play with a certain amount of urgency, but they also have to pace themselves because the tournament is over three weeks and the most successful teams are going to be able to have enough gas in their tank to make it to the finals. Well, for me, the tournament is kind of like a, a metaphor for life, for the Christian life, that we have to have a certain amount of urgency to do what God has asked us to do, to obey him, to follow his commands, and to serve him. But we also have to have an attitude that it's over a long period of time, that we should also have a perseverance to be able to endure a lifetime. Now, during our current series, which we have called Are You Ready?, we have been talking about the tension between urgency and perseverance in the Christian life. We don't know when Jesus is going to come back. He can actually come maybe tomorrow. So there could be some urgency in what we do. But we're also told that we are to wait because Jesus isn't going to come back until for a long time. So there is this kind of tension between urgency but also perseverance. Our message series is based on Jesus' teaching when he was on the Mount of Olives. And where he was sitting, teaching the crowds, was actually the spot where the prophet Zechariah said that the Messiah would come to establish his kingdom. So when Jesus was talking on that mountaintop, on that mountainside, he was telling the crowds about the end times. And last week, Pastor Andrew um, taught from the parable of the bridesmaids, which is about being ready preparing and waiting, and in particular while we're waiting to prepare for spiritual growth. This week, we're going to look at the parable of the talents, and it's another way to prepare. It's to prepare financially to invest for spiritual profit. So if you have Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew 25, and we're going to look at verses 14 through 30. And we're going to, I'm going to read through the verses so we get kind of an idea, an overview of what the parable of the talents is talking about. So starting with verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one, another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. 
The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that is the word of the Lord. When we read this parable, the first thing we get from this teaching is the concept of stewardship. And and any of you who've been on a cruise lately, your rooms are taken care of by not a housemaid. They're taken care of by a what's called a cabin steward. The steward doesn't own anything in that room, but is responsible for everything. And that's the Christian concept of what stewardship is, is that God owns everything that we have and that we are only to be responsible for it, to be managers of those things that God gives to us. The Christian worldview has God as the owner of everything. And again, we are the managers of those resources. God gives us money. And in parable, money is called talents to invest for him. In verse 14, it says, Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. That man is agreed upon by everyone who reads this as being God. And the servants are those that he gives things to. That's us, people. And it says there, he entrusted his property to the, to the servants. It's not the servant's property. It says it's his property, the man, the owner, the, that, that has given that property. The property given, and it's kind of unfortunate in the translation that they use the word talents. It has nothing to do with ability. The talent that's mentioned here is actually money. Talent is, is, a, is a weight. It's a weight of precious metal. So there's value. It's kind of a, a measuring uh, device. And, and here it says that uh, in verse 15, to one he gave five talents of money, and to another two talents, and to the last person he gave one talent, and each according to his ability. Then the man went on his journey. So there, there isn't much said about the talents other than that the certain amounts were given to each person. Um, it, it's important to note that it had nothing to do with 
favoritism. It had nothing to do with being arbitrary. It actually, the owner, God, gives the money out according to certain abilities by each of those persons. It doesn't explain what kind of abilities they have, but it's just according to the abilities of the persons, they did get certain amounts of money. Um, but it's for our takeaway point here is essentially each of those persons got something. That means everybody gets a certain amount of money. Nobody goes without. So that's one takeaway to, remind, to remember here. Moving on to verse 16, it says, The man who re- had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and got, gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had, gained, who had received a one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. So from that section, we see two servants who immediately go out, respond after receiving their talents, their money. They went out and, and put their money to work. The first, first there specifically says that, that the first man went out and put his money to work. And what does putting your money to work mean? What's another way to say that? It actually is investing. Right? Investing is putting money or capital with the expectation of gaining more to make a profit. That's what investing is. And scripture is clear there. It says that the first and the second servant went and took their money and made it work for them. And I'm going to suggest, given that, that, that concept of investing, that what we are instructed to do by this parable is that the money that we have, we are to take it and invest it for God. And that common sense investment principles then will take place. Meaning, we would take those monies that God has given to us, that we would take it and uh, consistently and regularly invest it for God's work. And that we would also be strategic and purposeful with that money. Investing isn't gambling. It's not taking unnecessary and unwise risk. Yes, there are some risk, but we do not take unwise risk. It's not gambling. So it is to do it strategically and purposefully. And then with all common sense investing, it isn't for short term. We are looking for a long-term return and investing strategy. So my first question for all of you, how are you investing God's money? How are you putting the money you have to work for God's purposes? And I asked this question for you this morning just to reflect on, but it's not a question that's not going to be asked again. For a day of judgment, God is going to ask that same question to you. How have you been putting my money to work? Matthew 25, verse 19 clearly states, everyone will be accountable. Whether you are a Christian or not a Christian, there is a day of reckoning. God will come before you and say, 
what have you been doing with my money? Verse 19 says, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. It's pretty clear there. The master, being God, calls his servants to come before him, and he says, let's settle our accounts. From this parable, God will be looking to see if we have gained God, uh, gained some something from the money he's given to us. And he doesn't care, actually, about how much we gain. Because if you notice, between the first and second servants who went out and put their money to work, one gained five more from his five, the one with two talents gains two more, but each of them received the same same reward for their profit. It only matters that you gain something. The third servant buried his money. He didn't put the money to work. And the, the rebuke, the, the correction that, that God gave to that last servant, he told him, why didn't you at least put it in the bank and get some interest? So pure, just purely looking at that, God intends for some sort of profit from the monies he gives to us even if it's at a very low interest rate in a bank account. Now, from this parable, we see that God wants a profit, but does he really care about tangible money profit? I don't think so. Because when we go to heaven, there are only basically kind of two things we can take there with us. All of our earthly things are destroyed and eaten by moths, according to the scripture. The only things that we can take to heaven is our character and also treasures in heaven. Things that have already been banked in a heavenly account. And these things I would call spiritual profit. That God doesn't look at actual tangible money at the day of judgment. He's looking at our character and he's going to look at heavenly treasures that we've deposited there through word and deed that we have done here on earth. And that, that is what spiritual profit is. So what does spiritual profit look like? Well, I think our spiritual growth is spiritual profit. Our character, as it becomes transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, is what we get to take with us to heaven. And last week, the first parable before the parable of the talents, the one that Pastor Andrew taught on from last week, it talked about being prepared, about having oil in our lamps. And Pastor Andrew said that oil represents our spiritual growth. Is that while we are here waiting for Jesus to return, our time is not to twiddle our thumbs and just to, to wait idly. But we are to prepare ourselves spiritually for his return. And so in this particular parable of the talents about our money that God has given to us, how have we used our money to grow ourselves spiritually? Do we invest in resources to help us learn about God, to know God, to get closer to God? And it could be simply as, do we buy books to read? Christian books, videos, tapes. Do we go to conferences? Or do we just spend our money on more pleasurable earthly kind of desires. 
I'm going to kind of put a plug here. In May, our church spends a weekend together to learn and grow spiritually together. It's called our church retreat. It's May 16th through the 18th, and if you don't have it on your calendars, mark it. And I encourage you that you would come. It does cost something to go. And, and for some of you, it could be equating to a, a trip to Hawaii or to down to Disneyland. But here is an option where the money, instead of going to ventures like that, it is an investment in your spiritual growth to have an opportunity to gain some spiritual profit. Another way spiritual profit looks like, it's having fruit that comes from using our money to invest in others, to love them in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, About a year ago, during our Living Simply Giving Generously uh, campaign, which we've been just completed this this third year, um, this being the third year over the last three years, I, I made a commitment about a year ago that every month I would uh, invest a small portion, uh, minimally about $25 or a little bit more, each month through an organization called Kiva, kiva.org. And kiva.org is a, is, is, it's not, it's a secular organization, but the, it's a website which um, uh, posts all these these people that are individuals and groups of individuals who are looking for loans. So it's a microfinance kind of business where you lend money to individuals all over the world to allow them to, to um, buy things, to start businesses or to start a home. A lot of it goes towards women because uh, a lot of countries, there's a lot of persecutions and a lot of uh, difficult economic situations that for women, especially single women who are raising families. But it's a, it's a great website. There is a, uh, a, an easy way to sign up to, to find these, these microfinance loan opportunities. But each month I go there and, and I, I look at individuals that have their stories. One particular group that I like to partner with on Kiva is Hope International. Hope International is a Christian organization, and so they kind of screen and, and, and look for individuals in certain communities and then list them as to how much money. And a lot of them are asking for maybe $1,000 or, or $2,000. So, uh, so all you do is you, if you pledge $25 towards that bunch of people pledged their $25, and so eventually that person will get their $1,000 to, say, buy seed. And they take the seed, and they raise crops, and then they can then sell the, the crops that they grow to their community and, and make an income. Or they can buy uh, cosmetics, and then they set up a, a retail store, and they sell cosmetics to the, the ladies in their community. Or clothing. One gentleman wanted to buy equipment for a car wash, uh, venture so you could wash cars in, in their community. So there are all kinds of different reasons, and, and you can pick and choose what you want uh, that, that uh, you have an interest in. So I've been able to loan money to people in, in, in Cambodia, Vietnam, in places like uh, Rwanda and Africa, and even in Europe, in Ukraine. Uh, I've been able to, to loan money. So it's kind of a way to, to explore the world, but also be able to uh, encourage and support them through an economic tool. So kiva.org is one way to take your money and invest 
on, on a regular basis. Some of you, uh, like myself, also you support a child through Compassion International or even Arms of Love, where you sponsor a child. And each month you pay whatever, $30, $35 a month, so that child can have food, clothing, and an education. And that's another way of putting your money into the kingdom so that you will have some sort of spiritual profit. And you don't have to go globally to do this. You can even do it locally. Um, a couple of weeks ago, our staff had an opportunity to go to City Team Ministries in San Francisco. And just for, for you know, a few dollars, some of the staff members bought socks. And we brought it to, to City Teams in San Francisco and, and donated to them. Because when they do their foot washings, when the homeless people come in, they have a, on Saturday mornings, I believe, they, they wash the feet of those who are on the streets. And then they give them dry, clean socks. And that's another way of taking some of the resources you have and then using it for God's purposes. Uh, about a couple of months ago, uh, some of our former Cal graduates, a couple of them are now working down in the South Bay, and they, they came to me and they asked if I could help them out in a project that they wanted to do. That now that they're working and then they have some resources of their own, they wanted to invest back into the community and um, put it to God's use. And, and they, they found out that, that homeless people in, in, the, in their neighborhoods down in, in the South Bay, one of the top items that that the homeless people like is toothpaste and toothbrushes. So these two Cal grads came to me and asked, can I get those things for them? Because as a dentist, I can get them pretty much at cost, uh, a, lot, a lot cheaper than you can get at retail. So they said, no problem. So they wanted these items, and I, and, and I bought them, and I gave them to those two guys, and, and they're going to put them into backpacks filled with other other items that they're going to give to, to, to homeless people down in the South Bay. So that's another way where I can take some of my resources and then leverage it for spiritual profit into the kingdom. So my question for all of you at this time, this morning, if you die tomorrow, how is your spiritual profit? Is there any evidence of that in your life? So what is the motivation? So what is the reason as a person that you will want to do this? To invest, to have spiritual profit. What, what motivation, what would cause you to do that? Well, as, as those who have made that commitment to follow Jesus, we serve God. We obey God. We we invest money for God. We tell other people about God's love because we know that God loves us. And that because he loves us, we love him. Good seed testify to his love. Good seed will testify to his love. Matthew 25, verses 21-23, in this parable of the talents, we see this from the two servants, from the first two servants, to the man with the five talents, his master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master 
replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. From that, that section of, the, of that parable, we see two men or women. It doesn't really say what gender these servants are. But these two servants quickly respond by turning God's money into, into profit. And they receive a reward. And it says there, the master expressed his, his, his love in three ways. He affirmed them and complimented them. He called them, well done, good and faithful servant. He expressed his trust to them, which is a, another form of love. He says, um, I will give you more things to be in charge of. So he gives them more trust. And then a third way that he, he expresses his love is that you will come and share in my happiness. Come share. And that's celebration. That is another form of love, is to, have, to celebrate one another, to celebrate together. And good seed experiences all three of those things. And you know, I want to, again, repeat that the amount gained is not important. It wasn't a matter of, of importance that the first servant got five talents. It wasn't important that the second one got two talents. Each of them got the same reward, the same response from the master. So that's why in my questioning to you and my challenge to you, is there any profit, any profit in your lives? Because it doesn't matter the amount. It's just whether you are actually trying and, and making the effort to have it. But we do see from this, this parable a major difference between the first two servants and the third one. The last servant definitely had a different attitude with the master. The first two had no issues with the master. They were obedient, prompt, and they delivered. Obviously, the third one had a problem. And his reward was being thrown into the darkness. If good seed testified to his love, bad seed will end up in the fire. That's pretty harsh. Pretty tough judgment. Verse 24 says, Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where, where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So I said, bad seed will end up in the fire. How do I get that? Where do I come up with that? 
Well, it's interesting here in this parable of the talents, Jesus uses the imagery of a sower. He repeats it here in this in this uh, passage about a sower, someone who scatters seeds, and then there's a harvesting. And, and note that 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 Jesus is using this 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 concept of scattering seed. Now, where have we seen this before? And if you're familiar with Matthew, in the book of Matthew, Jesus talks about this earlier. And the disciples asked him in Matthew 13, can you explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field? And so that in this context of the parable of the weeds, I get this uh, idea that bad seed is thrown into the fire. Matthew 13, verses 36 to 43 says, Then he left the crowd, and that's Jesus, and he went into his house. And then his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. Jesus answered, The one who sold the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. So good seeds are Christians, those who are believers, true believers. The weeds, on the other hand, are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery uh, furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. On judgment day, and there will be a judgment day, God is looking for good seed. And this is the grace of God that he gives to all mankind. Whether you are a believer or not a believer, everyone experiences goodness in their life by the grace of God as long as they're alive. But on the day you die, there is then to come judgment. And then whether you are a believer or not a believer, there is judgment. God allows weeds and good seed to live together. And it's only upon judgment day that there will be a harvesting. And then according to this instruction here, bad seed, weeds, will be pulled up and thrown into the fire. And there will be gnashing of teeth in the darkness. That's where I get bad seed will be thrown into the fire. And, and you know, whenever we study this passage, um, some people think, can, can a Christian actually lose their salvation? And it's my belief, no. Once you are saved... You can, you, salvation can't be taken away from you. God will hold on to you. And the reason I say that is because if you are truly saved, the Holy Spirit has entered into you. And once the Holy Spirit is there, it cannot be taken away. And, and in, to help you understand, this analogy is like when you're pregnant, right? You're pregnant or you're not. And once you're pregnant, your body will undergo changes without your direction. You have no control over that. 
It's an evident fact that once you're pregnant, your body will start to change. And the same thing with being a Christian. If the Holy Spirit has entered into your body, will begin, your personhood will begin to change and transform through the Holy Spirit. And it's because you have been changed and transformed that you will begin to say things, behave, do things because you are a Christian, because the Holy Spirit's there. And that evidence, natural evidence of your transformation will happen. You can't force it. It will come naturally to the response that God has loved you and given you the Holy Spirit, that, that you will then become known to others that you are a Christian. And more importantly, God will know that you are a Christian. So that question whether can a Christian lose their, their salvation, are all three of these servants Christians? No. The first two were because they responded to God's love and took God's money and immediately went and invested and created spiritual profit. The third servant is not a Christian. He had an attitude that he looked at God and said, you are a hard man. That's not out of love. He had a different picture. And then on his day of reckoning, of settling accounts, he is actually a seed, his bad seed, and became a weed that was pulled up and thrown into the fire. And I don't want to judge anyone. It's not my place to do that. You know who you are. But more importantly, only God judges. And so you have, to the day you die, an opportunity to continue to make that decision whether you're going to serve God or not serve God and make your faith a real faith or not a real faith. And that is only my purpose is to encourage you, to spur you on that there is hope in this world that is more valuable than you can imagine that comes through Jesus Christ. Recently, I had an opportunity to share my story with, with a relative in my family. And I, I told her that everyone eventually dies. And, and that as a Christian, I believe that it doesn't end there. That life doesn't end on the day we die. That because God loves us, that he gives us an opportunity to live eternally. That God, through his son Jesus Christ, and through the workings of the Holy Spirit, gives us an opportunity to be forever with God in heaven. The scripture tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And that is the greatest gift. And for us that have received that gift, we respond by testifying to his great love for us. And we do that to the, the last breath we have here on earth, that we would testify to others of how God has loved us. We testify to his love through word and deed, through our stories and our resources and money that we invest into loving others in the name of Jesus. In your bulletins, you know, during this sermon series, we have this little flyer here, this little worksheet, and it says, are you ready? And uh, has the thing about weight training. Each week, there's some sort of application, some sort of reflection for you to note. And I hope you are using this during the series. 
And today, the, the uh, question is, wait by actively increasing the master's assets. How has God called me to make a difference for Christ using our resources, money, time, talents, even our story for spiritual profit? That's the application for this week. So if you have a moment of reflection today or during this week, I encourage you to think about what you've heard this morning. We live with an urgency that Jesus may come tomorrow, but with perseverance for a lifetime, we are to wait in preparation. And one way we will wait in preparation is to look at our resources, the money that God has given to us. Have we used it in a particular way to invest in his kingdom, to love others in the name of Jesus Christ so that we may have some sort of spiritual profit so that on the day that we meet our master in heaven, that we would have an opportunity to say, yes, we have made some profit for you and received the kind words from God, good and faithful servant. That's what we all long for, and I hope for you all too. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your graciousness, for your love and mercy that all mankind can experience the goodness of life. But as you instruct to us through, the, through your teaching, through your scripture, through the parables, that there is a day of judgment, a day that we will come face to face with you. So I pray for all those in this room that it would be a blessing, that it would be a time of joy, of celebration, and as, as you said, to share in the master's happiness. But, but for some of us who may have doubt, some of us who are not sure, may it be a time, give us time, and you do give us time, to prepare ourselves that we can make that kind of a commitment, to be reassured that we can come before you and say we have brought spiritual profit for you. So we thank you for your son Jesus, who died on the cross, but rose again three days later, so that we may have eternal hope. So we thank you in his name.